0: You're listening to Tonebenders, the sound designer's
1: podcast. Let's
0: do this. Hello and welcome to Tonebenders Sound Design Podcast, where we talk with the sonic artists behind our favorite films, games and series. My name is Tim Muirhead and I will be your host today as we talk to a man who is presented with a mission to make an absolutely massive soundtrack for the latest Mission Impossible film, Dead Reckoning Part One. Luckily, James Mather and his team chose to accept this mission, and the results are glorious. The film features massive car chase scenes, intense hand-to-hand combat, an immense train sequence both in the train and on top of the train, and lots, lots more. This is James' second appearance on Tonebenders after last year's excellent Top Gun Maverick episode. Welcome back to the show, James. It's great to have you back again.
1: Hi, Tim. It's lovely to be back. You know, I'm a big fan. Thank you.
0: This is your third Mission Impossible film, is that
1: correct? It is, yes.
0: All three of those films have the same director and same star in Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie. Uh, they have talked in other interviews about their desire to up the ante for every Mission Impossible film. How does that extend to the sound department?
1: <laughs> in every way. They come up with the uh, the menu and then we have to sort of help with the dish. <laughs> i hope it's, it's it's served the way they expected it i think um every every film has had its own challenges and its own uh, exploration of of what uh, you know the what what they want to present and as importantly how they present it with the storyline this this storyline in this one is particularly um acute as it's seemingly very relevant now more so than it was Uh, When we started this project, which was a few years ago now due to the pandemic, the jeopardy and the action and the stakes are raised. There's new characters in this movie, which is great. Uh, They work fantastically well. And there is also a sense of uh, momentum in this movie that seems to be a progression from the previous two uh, in a way that the characters have developed into this challenge and there's humor uh, in this as well which although we've had in previous ones that seems to have increased as well which is which is always a nice angle when you've got so much jeopardy and so much at stake the relief of being able to laugh and see you know um performances that feel very natural is also an addition to the to the process so each time it's amped up something else that then encourages the other elements to equally amp up, if that makes sense.
0: You mentioned comedy. That's something that I was really surprised by this. With past Mission Impossible movies, you you think of action, you think of adventure, you don't necessarily think of laughs. So this movie is quite funny. Yeah, There's lots of really laugh-out-loud moments in it, and especially the relationship between uh, the Ethan Hunt character and the uh, Grace character. Yeah. They have a real chemistry on screen and create a lot of laughs just with their glances at each other. Yeah. But there's also moments where sound can create a laugh. And uh, one of those moments is uh, there's a huge car chase scene through the streets of Rome. I think they start in a BMW. It gets trashed. They have to go find a drop car. You're expecting it to be this amazing, super high-tech car. And it ends up being a very tiny Fiat. (laughs) But for sound-wise... It's it's rigged to be a modern car, even though it looks old, but it's not really shown, is it an electric car, is it a diesel car, is it a jet car? Uh, how did you go about bringing out the comedy of that tiny car and how it kind of works compared to the huge vehicles that are chasing it through the city? Because what you ended up with was both super intense and quite comedic at the same time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it, you know it's like Buster Keaton. It's, it goes back to those old movies where, where it's from the sublime to the ridiculous, and the contrast is what makes it so funny. And the the, the notion that you see the the plush sports car, Anuka, of course, you know, it's it's a it's a bit of a a slight to other action movie heroes that we know that would have gone for the sports car. Ours gets the uh, Fiat Cinquecento, <laughs> and and what I love about this particular one is that you know ethan is without knowing it necessarily he's out to impress you know he's out to impress grace and they've ended up in this situation where they are tied together and and so they've they've got to make the most of it and he and he's kind of you know he's he's being a little bit don't you worry i'm getting an extra car i'm getting another car and a and the fact that it is all played in counterpoint and it's actually um, their humour and Grace's sort of response are so natural and so the timing that they have together and the acknowledgement that they have of each other's kind of timing, uh, they play off each other so well, Haley and, and Tom, and you can see they're having fun doing it. It doesn't detract from the story. It doesn't take you away from what is an incredible car chase. But the fact that it's cat and mouse and they are tied together and it is like they are the peas in a whistle almost. It's like they've they've got they are in the most impossible car to try and evade such a such a battle tank of a car that um, it was easy for us to make it funny. It's visually you watch it mute and it's funny you know the humor is there in the looks the humor is there in the design of the choice of the car the design of the car so when we went and recorded the actual car that they had put a a tesla motor into the fiat to get it to be electric um we went to record it and you know it's 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 a quiet engine it it doesn't make a lot of noise but the car itself made a lot of creaks and groans and metal twists and bangs and sounds tinny and 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 a, a little bit like the house made of straw, you know, a strong wind would blow it over. We started from the get-go. The moment it comes out, it's got this little squeaky thing and it kind of stops into a skid. And there's a character that we immediately associate with that car, which is that it's got bravado and it's got chutzpah, but it's just, it's a tiny little weedy car. It's a bit like the kind of Transformers Bumblebee type. You know, it's the smaller... But it still thinks it's got something to prove, which it has. What's under the bonnet is far more, far more dynamic than anything else on the street, and it wasn't hard to play along with that. I think the the challenge was really, how small can we make it? How 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 feeble can we make it without it being unrealistic? In order that the that the Hummer, that the the car that um, Paris is chasing them in is that much bigger and heavier and gruntier and you know muscular and that that comparison that contour point is key to so many moments within the chase like the donutting in the in the square at the bottom of the spanish steps all those moments where you're just looking at it going this is utterly farcical yet totally plausible you know this is if a car was so overpowered, you know, from the get go, when Ethan puts his accelerator on and goes flying into the shop front, that car was really hard to drive. It's You know, you put an engine with that much torque in it, in a car that size, it's going gonna, it's gonna to twitch. So you get that impression. It's There's a lot of reality in that. That's what made that scene so so exciting to play with it's different it's not been done before it's not it's not homage to another film french connection or any other film that has a car chase like that it is unique and it is a wonderful vehicle for their chemistry you know it not only is it fun for the audience to see this action scene it's also a really good opportunity for us to see this um, relationship develop through humor and nuance and surprise and the fact that they swap places when they don't expect to and the fact this it's 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 wonderfully choreographed wonderfully thought out and brilliantly performed
0: and the tire squeals for it the the between the huge hummer as you say that's chasing them and then the tire squeals when it goes around the corner it's going ee- kind of little like squeaky squeaks were those actual tire squeaks how did you create those
1: yeah yeah we recorded a lot of tire squeaks we we have tire squeaks in our library we you know we found towards the end of the process that the the tire squeaks were starting to sound shrill and it was something that tom picked up on when he listened to it in one of the previews and he felt we could step back on some of the comic squealing to allow the character of the engine to be a bit more, but without losing the squeal. So actually, you know, in most cases with soundtracks, you kind of overdo it slightly in order to be able to subtract and take away and expose moments and create timing that works better. You're just constantly dialing it in to improve. We took away some of the very high frequency, the 2K screeches, and what it did is it, it made it more realistic. It, it stopped it being slightly comic and made it far more realistic and it also allowed the engine acceleration out of turns just to be a bit more recognizable i mean there's a scene after the uh spanish steps the car is then being chased through streets and we're and it's narrowly missing oncoming traffic and it's going through red lights and it's at that point you start relying on the other vehicles skids and horns and physicality to give you the impression that you're in that very small vulnerable car and that all the other sounds around you are far more threatening um so so the the character arc of the sound design for those vehicles changes all the way through that sequence so you start off and specifically, as the as the little Fiat goes down the steps, and you hear those as it's shuddering, the, the tires are squeaking going down the steps, and that was designed to give you the sense that they were trying to control it, not herring down the steps at full pace, but reluctantly ending up going down these steps, and and the the skids give you that sense that they're not, it's not they're not going at full pelt; they're actually desperately trying not to go too fast and crash and then by the end of the scene the skids from the tire are almost subliminal compared to the the horns and the traffic on coming which is now another threat and then you've always got this hummer that appears out of rear right or rear left this huge gutsy v8 engine and and it's it's like having an orchestra you know it's playing different frequencies and different instruments at different times to allow the audience to feel that they're compelled and enthralled and engaged. You know, the camera work on these scenes gives you that sense that you are in the car with Ethan and, and Grace and with Paris. We wanted to make sure that the sound also gave you those different perspectives, you know, low angle, tyres on cobblestones, it's a really lovely sound and it's and it's unique to, to old cities in Europe. And there's always another flavour to give you a sense of, immersion within the within the chasing it's not literally just and you know as mchugh pointed out when we were doing the the skidding scene the donuts you know he's going it's weird you know you kind of expect to hear an engine because you've never seen a car chase with an electric car as the you know as the as the lead it was like great well then we've got to use the skids to make that dynamic uh uh kind of urgency work but then when we cut to the close-up of the car and it's pulling out of a skid we can use that acceleration of an electric engine which was in fact a combination of electric skateboards which have you know accelerator triggers on a remote so you can control and vary the speed and then the designers take those away and work at it even more to emphasize you know in amongst all the police cars and the sirens and the helicopters it was a nice thread to be able to weave in and out of the sequence.
0: So the Hummer that's chasing them, yeah, it feels growly.
1: It's very growly.
0: It, were there literal growls in there? Were there animal sounds involved? No. No? That was all engine sounds?
1: It was all engine sounds. There's an artist called Joe Rush. I'll try and keep this short. He basically uh, takes all manner of vehicles, uh, old Chevys, tractors, cranes, uh, agricultural vehicles, and he chops them all up and turns them into different creatures and he has a show at glastonbury he does car henge which is all these cars laid out like like Stonehenge. we did a recording session with him many years ago at, at glastonbury festival uh, recording his vehicles that we would then trigger these sounds as they were performing this kind of bizarre kind of motor thing one of the vehicles was called rustang sally and it was a very old 1920s v i want to say v12 but i don't even know if that's a thing there's a huge engine with a flat pipe at the back and we recorded that and it was so over the top as a deep growly engine i've never had the option. i've tried so many times to use that engine in a in a in a movie and never found anything that came close to warrant that use until this this hummer came along and it was a combination of that Rustang Sally and a friend of mine who pimped his Range Rover so that it sounds like a speedboat. <laughs> <laughs> so we combined those two sounds and and then played it through a couple of very fruity plugins, and it gave us it gave us Paris's Hummer.
0: Well, as I say, it was a super fun chase scene for sound. Uh, the Fiat, they first smash into a wall out of control, and then almost the next thing is them going down the stairs. And when it cuts to the interior of them in the car, the sound of it squeaking and banging down the stairs was one of my favorite sounds I've heard in a long time. It was really, it, <laughs> it was completely unexpected, but it fit perfectly. Normally, when something goes kind of off the path, it takes you a moment to kind of settle into it but like it it felt right but it was not expected and when you are able to pull that off it's uh you've used
1: the very appropriate word felt felt is the fit to feel it is the is the mantra of of a mission soundtrack it's something that tom being the person in the scene on the screen at the time having done that stunt is so acutely aware and and eager to share that experience with the audience. He wants the audience to feel the immersive, the immersive experience that he went through, whether he's hanging off the side of a plane or driving down the Spanish steps. And it's an extraordinary luxury to have, you know, him and Eddie and Macquarie all working together and feeding information into the soundtrack that gives us the opportunity to know where to stay within the boundaries of, plausibility reality and and where we can push the boundaries a little bit because it's nuts you know because it's like jumping off a cliff on a bike and then disappearing to almost nothing and then cutting in so loud and so hard and we're all going whoa i don't know that seems quite extreme and tom will say no guys you got to understand that's how loud it is that's what it feels like when you're skydiving we're always very mindful and very respectful of the fact that this, this guy's experienced most of the things that we're seeing on the screen. And so when you say you felt it, that's the, that's, that's what, that's the golden word. That's what we're aiming for.
0: Awesome. Well, uh, mission accomplished. <laughs> mission accomplished. <laughs> um, another big plot point in this film, the bad guy kind of takes the form of AI, and uh, it's called the entity in the film. And there is a a very important scene in the middle of the film, I think it's in Florence at that point, where all of the various players, it's almost like a Western, come in and stare down each other. The entity is kind of represented by these video walls, but also a sound that's happening. And it's a sound that's happening that I think maybe to an average viewer might even think it's part of the score.
1: That's right. Yes.
0: Because it's kind of working with the score, but it's a very abstract sound. Yeah. I was wondering if maybe you could tell us how you uh, ended up with that one, how you iterated it, uh, how you got to that.
1: Absolutely. It's very interesting the way you describe it, because it was very much originally, the entity was very much a musical proposition. A composer was sort of tasked with coming up with a, a a theme that would that would indicate the the entity and its presence. And it worked. It was good, it was a good theme, but then the entity started becoming more of a visual reference as well. And therefore it kind of became a slightly more of a physical personality on the screen. It was felt that we should also have a go at putting something on there from sound design. I was very keen to from an early stage. I was very keen to try something because I could see the opportunity there. Of coming up with something that was interesting and and digital and technical and unheard of but familiar. Anyway, as luck would have it, or I, or not, I had my my daughter had called me one day in 2021 saying, Dad, the TV's broken. I can't hear any sound. It's making a weird sound. So I came home, I put the TV on. There was something amiss with the digital connection to the soundbar. And it was making anything I played through it had the sound that you now hear as the entity. So I thought, well, well, this this is interesting. I couldn't. I don't know how I'd start making this if I had it. If I was requested to, so I got my phone out and put a mic on it and started recording it. Thought, I know what I'll do. I'll play the opening five minutes of Rogue Nation. That's what I'll do because at least it's, it's it's in the same vein of uh, of what we're working on. Did that skip through? Played it. My daughter's there, sitting there, going, "Yeah, but can we just? I want to watch. Can you fix it." and then you know cut to 18 months later and we played around with it but it was and i'd done a demo with it uh as an idea but it, it felt like it was too much it it was on the nose it wasn't the right time for there to be a sound to and we were trying to use it at the point in the club that you mentioned where they're all sitting around and ethan stands up and looks around the room and there are visual um indicator, indicators of something happening the lights are changing and we were trying versions of that and I'd play something to Eddie and it wasn't the right time to present it. And, and then McHugh said, is there, have you got anything that we could use for the entity? If we were going to give it some kind of identity on, on a sound level. And I said, look, I've got this, I'll play you this. And I took the phone out and I pressed the sound and I said, there you go. Here's the second. I've got this and it's like, well, that's interesting. said yeah that's the title score because the paramount stars are flying in for rogue Nation's game now that's amazing so we took that three minutes worth of, of recording and we started playing it to the picture and we added extra elements that didn't work and actually the simplicity of that in itself because it shifts with the sound underneath it seemed to do all the heavy lifting and then and then the entity became a, a, a more visual character in the film um we see it at the beginning in the sylvester pole where the you see the, the 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 entity in the in the sonosphere and 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 the screen suddenly twists and the the text on the screen becomes this blue eye that is then the character we get we come to know as the entity And at that point we introduce the sound of the defunct soundbar which i have to say rebooting just set it fine never been able to get it do it since (laughs) which is a shame because we then had to try and mimic that sound to create a a version of you know we had a a, one of the sound designers with us in us spent days trying to and successfully achieving a, a a kind of modulation eq path that we could then apply dialogue through that would sound very similar it didn't quite have the same rounded edge that that does but it certainly had the same kind of distortion and breakup so when benji is giving instructions to ethan as he's running through the streets of venice the transition from benji talking to the entity taking over we had to manipulate that and at the same time breaking up that dialogue and using the entity sound design sound effects to play underneath that so you knew that it was the entity taking over and it became it became quite a signature. And I don't know for those that may have stayed to the, to the bitter end of the credits, there's a little something at the end, which is a entity still around kind of thing. Um, You know, it's deeply satisfying. It's most sound people, you know, will always be on the lookout for odd sounds that they've never heard or references that they want to use and they'll record things. And it's a, it's a, it's a great lesson. You never, you would never suspect that a, uh, something so, simple and at the time dysfunctional would end up being such a huge character in a tentpole movie but there you go
0: there you go that's an awesome story i love those happy accidents they're amazing yeah yeah another really interesting scene is near the beginning ethan hunt goes to save uh, one of his friends in a desert shootout yes during the scene instead of music it's almost scored by wind as a windstorm comes in
1: yeah that had a a kind of more of a military tactical feel to it at the, at the early stages where you had the the bounty hunters who were looking for ilsa who's you know holed up in a in a building with ammunition and weapons to fight them off but it was that kind of tactical moving from building to building encircling and getting closer and you know the movie was long at an early stage and and there were a lot of scenes that needed to come down to just be able to tell the story and to and to give the audience the sense of urgency and that was one of those scenes where we had we we tried music the music had tried you know go at it and we try to go at it and we tried to combine it and by the time we got to the final cut during the mix the scene really could only take one or the other in as much as the music could only build a certain way and then McHugh was very keen to emphasize was the insanity of this storm that it was basically you know it was it's like the opening of close encounters where they come and find all the old airplanes this the nature is trying to obliterate everything on the screen and so he wanted it to be as violent and as suffocating a soundtrack as possible so the nuances were really just different locations by a small margin you know and, and a rattling of the the building the derelict building
0: yeah the scene kind of takes place in like a ghost town in the middle of the desert so yeah they're all half up structures so some have walls some don't
1: yeah no you're right and as you're kind of coming in and out of the buildings the the wind becomes much more intense and violent and then you get into a building and you are hearing it going through the rafters and through the windows and it was um you know we we'd, we'd work this scene many different ways always trying to maintain this energy and as the scene reduced in size it was a very good exercise in in discipline instead of trying to make the scene that we had started with work by conforming the tracks to match the cut we had to start again it was like okay no we just need to get rid of this we know what the ingredients are we know what this dish should taste like we need to make this much of this dish not that much and it needs to have the same impact it needs to have this deliver the same flavor but it needs to be far more succinct and to the point we can't waste a second trying to you know line up something it is all happening there and there and there and the gunshots you know the 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 gunshots have to cut through but they also have to give you a sense of perspective as to where people are in that proximity you know first thing it was a discipline to let go of all the work that had been done and say okay we start again we print master in three days Let's get this scene done. And it's like, you know, we've been working on this scene for months and months, and suddenly it's days. we got days, start again, days. Uh. This movie, the track lay and the mix on this movie was like the movie. It, you know, it all came down to the last real eight. Wow. The last, the, it's like the mix was like the train crash. At the end, it was just, get through, get through. Get through that's good, that's not good. I think it made for a more energetic and dynamic mix because of the, we knew what we had to play with. We knew that the ingredients and everything was right. It was about everybody letting go of their sense of preconceived, Ideas of what they thought they were presenting, and saying, Okay, we're presenting this, and this has to be that, and it has to have this and that. And Tom wants this, and McHugh wants that, and we've got it, but we've just got to stop being precious about all the other things that we've got, let it go, remove those things, focus on what tells the story. Desert Storm was one of those moments, the train tunnel scene was another one of those moments, and they're both fantastic in Atmos, you know, in Dolby Atmos, because. They use every aspect without trying to signify that something is moving from front across the roof and to the back. You're not worried about the objects. It's about the density of being immersed in that location. And both those scenes were great for that. They were really, really exciting challenges to make you feel like you wanted to be somewhere else.
0: Up until this point, I don't think we've done any real spoilers. So anyone listening now, we're going to talk about the end sequence of the film. So if you haven't seen it yet, come back to this point later. (laughs) We're going to talk about the train, because the train presents a lot of sound challenges. Because there's a plot point, the bad guys have disabled the brakes of the train. So the train is going out of control... But it's, and also, the, they've hung the, the engineer on the string that pulls the uh, whistle. So every time it goes around a bend, his weight shifts and the whistle goes off. But the sound is kind of left to tell the story of the train getting more and more out of control. We don't kind of, you know, there, there are a few times when we cut to the wheels of the train going faster, but it feels like the sound is telling the story of the train getting faster and faster and faster. I assume your challenge was you can't go too far with that because the people on the train aren't fully aware of what's happening yet.
1: That's right. That's right. So
0: how did you thread that needle?
1: The first thing is to make sure that the beginning of the scene is dignified, expensive, plush, luxurious train journey, which is not uncomfortable, which is not awkward. There's a cut where Paris walks through, and the cut is close up of a champagne flute rocking. And it's like the kind of puddle in Jurassic Park. It's the first indicator that something's not right, that that anything in these carriages should be upset or disturbed is somehow, that's not what the Orient Express is about. It's about luxury and comfort. So we started at a very low ebb, at a low pace, and we didn't try and amp it up. And then slowly, as as the story unwinds, the jeopardy of the runaway train becomes more of a feature, more of a storyline. There are ronks and bumps and the train has, you know, you can hear the screeching as it's going around a corner slightly too far to one side. So it's got this abrasive sound. There are more rattles from the lights and the glasses and various bits and pieces, the chandeliers, the passengers aren't always, you're not always getting somebody looking up, wondering what's going on. This set doesn't sound right. It's a bit like they're, They're not as aware of it as we are. Exactly. Only when, you know, they come running through and telling everybody that get to the back of the train, get to the back of the train. And we only know that's an issue because they're going towards something they shouldn't be. You don't want to give too much away too soon, but you want to at least make it plausible that it has a beginning and a middle and an end at any point if you go back to refer to it there is clearly there is a beginning a middle and an end it can't just go from beginning to end and there's like hey when did that happen when did that suddenly kick off and it went twice as fast also there is a point when we were when we were working on it that we were like it can't be going faster every time we cut to it it can't just keep increasing in speed there must be a kind of velocity that it hits and that's it that's that's the, the highest it'll go whether it's 90 miles an hour or whatever it is it can't go faster than that by the nature of its weight and whatever else. So once we would built up to that speed, which was kind of around the area where where Ethan arrives and we we blow out the the ambience within the carriage, She's suddenly erupted by this break in and the outside is now heard on the inside. And it's, you realize, oh, wow, it's a lot, lot more violent out there than we were made to think of when we we're in the carriage we're kind of hermetically sealed while we're in the carriage, but when the window's broken, boom, the jeopardy amps up. And, you know, then you've got Ethan saying, I've got to go up and sort this thing out on the roof. And, Grace, you go and stop the train. It's a runaway train. How do I do that? You can do it. But, I, you know, it's the, it's the comic relationship is, is still strong. Even with a few emotional beats, it's still very good. And this is all, you know, there's no music in any of this. This is all about sound design, sound effects. And then when the music does come in, it's kind of got this fantastic train momentum percussion running through it, which I like. It's one of my favourite cues. It's a really sympathetic music cue that point you know that the train scene is now going to be something slightly more than just a uh, meeting on a passenger train and a few fights here and there along the way you've got this rooftop fight which is bonkers (laughs) and again it's tom who wants to the audience to feel that you know one wrong foot and they could be off the edge of the train let alone being wiped out by a gantry or a signal bell or you know signal arm or there's so many things that could go wrong and the the wind is much like the desert storm you've got this insane wind that is making you aware of of how precarious it is on the roof thrown into the tunnel for good measure like a spin dryer
0: the tunnel is another one like i mentioned earlier about the feel like when we went in that tunnel you felt the whole room changed yeah uh in the theater it's it was an impressive sound design moment
1: that demanded something more than what you would expect to hear it was one of those moments where you go okay we've got the all the sounds that we've been listening to the chuff chuff train the the screeching tires the whistle the all these sounds okay we'll stick them in a tunnel we'll put reverb on it we'll try and find something that makes it sound a bit kind of encapsulated the whooshing things they'll they'll have a sound that'll be you know i've got a very strong philosophy about how things that pass you make a noise. If something like a bell passes you, you expect to hear a doppler sound as it comes towards and fires past. But if a light goes past you, you won't get it, you're not going to hear it until it's at you. And all you're going to hear is the whoosh by as it's so non-audio objects in my mind shouldn't make a noise until they're with you. And that therefore makes them a lot more alarming because it's like, poof, you know, and these kind of explosive dynamic passes. So we had a lot of variety of that stuff, and we had the kind of train rattling, and but it was still very um, predictable. It was the kind of sounds you'd imagine were the same on the outside of the tunnel, but the tunnel had to be something different. So I, I delved into the library of sounds that I have of, of uh, underneath bridges, train bridges, uh, at Waterloo, London Waterloo, underneath those where the trains come out, uh, New York Brooklyn Bridge, where you've got you can hear the tires going over the, the tracks such a known sound it's such an extraordinary it, it conjures up uh, so many other films in my mind those new york bridges with with dense traffic and then you've also got these winds blowing across pipes that have this kind of howling moaning effect and we just stacked the tracks with all these different thick uh, tonal sounds that had movement within them it created this bizarre wall of noise that was like you could almost hear It's almost like when you play pink noise or another tone, a neutral tone, your brain starts picking noises out within it that don't don't exist, but your brain is clearly trying to figure out what it is that is familiar. And it was this, this tunnel sound that we had, had the same effect you'd go oh i can hear ethan grunting here and he's like no dialogues are down nothing's playing (laughs) it's in the backgrounds it's like you play it again you go no 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 i didn't hear it then i heard it but i can hear it there and it's it was a really weird omni experience listening to it in the room and that was what we wanted it was uncomfortable you didn't want to be in there it wasn't something you wanted to it was like kind of the ipcris file you know is putting a nail in his hand to to try and alleviate the distraction that they're putting him under all the sound therapy and stuff i was like yeah man i'd tell i'd tell them all my secrets if i had to listen to this any <laughs> for longer and and that was the notion was make it as uncomfortable and as oppressive as possible so that when we explode out at the end of the tunnel it's a relief it's like oh they're out they survived And then the music comes in and we're off with the emotional, you know, the next level of the chase is the emotional level of the chase and and how that's going to pan out. There were many shapes and forms and dynamics that we had to play with and and feel, you know, we had to feel every moment of it. That was the key thing.
0: The last big set piece, the train stops, the engine flies off the bridge And then slowly, next car, next car is going off the bridge and our heroes have to get through to the next train. Visually, why those trains keep falling is only referenced a couple times. Sound has to keep that danger alive of the bridge continuing to crumble, the bridge falling apart, the trains creaking as they're tipping off the edge. How daunting of a task was that to take on? Like that's a, that's a, that's a lot of storytelling to tell off screen.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of storytelling, and it it was the last reel of the movie, and it was a monster. I mean, it was a it was it was epic. When you see a scene where they've rebuilt these carriages from scratch, and they've built the locomotive for real, you know, obviously it may not have all the moving parts within, but the whole thing is made out of steel and attention to detail the hanging these carriages so that the actors are literally pulling themselves up and you've got the camera operator on a harness dangling down inside this carriage filming them within a foot of them struggling and you can see the veins and the sweat you know these aren't glory shots for the actors these are the actors really struggling to climb their way up the detail and the attention to authentic action is so immense that you just have to keep up with it you know it's not like you're trying to explain something that the audience needs help with what you're trying to do is is keep up with what you're seeing on the screen and intimate where necessary where only where necessary the kind of jeopardy that they're the things that that they might hear that we don't see, like you said, the crumbling stone of the bridge or the creaking of the carriage. So you might cut outside and see the coupling jolt, you know, a bit of a thread, just signifying that they are literally hanging on by, by, by a tiny sliver, a margin of risk. But the consequence of that has to have a reverberation that the train is then... <laughs> And it's got this kind of response to the structure and the strain that's going on outside. And that has to be relevant to what you're seeing with the characters. So we really followed the action. You know, everybody had a point that they wanted to put across about this. This has to be clear because it has to signify, you know, one person would say, I really need to hear more of the rubble. Another person say, I I really need to hear the train groaning. Uh, You know, Tom would say, I need to hear, at, at a point, I need to know that we're, that high and if it means not having the sound of crumbling and groaning and just having that high wind and realizing that as he's climbing off the carriage that just about to let go he is that high and it's important you know these are all flavors that keep the audience on the edge of their seat the kitchen scene for me is 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 you know one of the (laughs) most extraordinary stunts
0: this is the train car that was the kitchen car on the train the
1: train car yeah they
0: suddenly have to climb through the kitchen with uh fire flames coming out of the stove the cooking oil is sliding all over the floor so they're slipping yeah and uh yeah it's it's chaos incarnate
1: it's dangerous just when it's on the tracks but this thing's hanging off the side of a cliff it is it is fabulous and it's fun it's fun to do the way that eddie cuts it the way that they've shot it, it's, you know, you've got a squeaky foot on oil floor. You've got the dish machine coming, slamming down. You've got gas pipes going, and they're all happening in a s- sort of synchronicity, in a syncopated way that allows you to feature the sound of everything without it overshadowing the other, the previous or the next. So it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work. Uh, but that that's kind of the movie encapsulated right there in that in that last reel it's like it's a lot of fun but it's a lot of work and that's across the board from the construction to the filming to the rehearsing to the to every angle of it so it the challenge for us is to meet that match it and keep the audience engaged and immersed all the way through
0: i had a great time watching it in the theater as i mentioned the sound made me feel things in ways that uh, were both unexpected and thrilling Congratulations on all your work. Are you going to be working on part two?
1: We are, yeah, yeah, yeah. When when that uh, raises its head, we should be there to uh, to jump on board. Enjoy
0: your downtime. Yeah.
1: <laughs> thank you.
0: Because <laughs> I'm sure you've got another hurricane coming your way. I believe um, so. Yeah. <laughs> thank you very much for talking to me today. Uh, it was really great. Congratulations on the film, and uh, hopefully we can have you on again in the future.
1: Thank you, Tim. I hope so too. Thanks very much indeed. It was a pleasure.
0: Tone Benders is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Morrow. Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your emails to info at Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or B&H, or leave us a tip. Just go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening. Are you looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? Tonebenders is part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.